You think he had an existential crisis? I think there's something fucked up going on with his cognition. And I think you feel exactly the same way that I do. We know where the error originated. We do. And you covered for him. Let me rebuild Abernathy. We'll make sure this is not something you more serious. You know the policy. Let it lie. Then let me at least pull the host who had contact with him. Like the daughter, Dolores. What for? Because if this is not a dissonant episode, then whatever Abernathy had could be contagious, so to speak. Dolores was examined and cleared. And the stories are best left to the guests. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we have a packed episode. A lot of insights, a lot of theories, and a lot of questions that hopefully we get answered. Before we start this episode, I want to let you guys know that I've been working on a new web design for our coffeeclatchcrew.com website, and it's coming together pretty well. You guys should check it out. Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, and what I'm going to put up there every week is a countdown timer to when you should expect a new episode to be published on iTunes and all the other podcast catchers. This way, you won't be wondering when are they going to get it up? Um, can you get it up? Oh, different podcast. <laughs> and this website's going to keep growing. It's going to give you insight on what channels we have, on all of our casts, on the hosts. And we're going to start putting on some, some extra stuff that we can't divulge yet, but I think you're really going to dig it. So this is a good way to keep up with everything Coffee Clutch Crew. Please check it out. And as Jason mentioned, this is a new channel for us, Westworld. For those of you who followed us over from Mr. Robot, we are so happy to have you with us again. Hopefully we get some new listeners. And the way to keep this growing is, of course, to rate and review us on iTunes. I know you hear that a lot from podcasts. I'm so sorry to reiterate. But you send us such wonderful messages on email. They really mean a lot. And it'll help get this message out to spread it to other people that are trying to find us. Speaking of email, don't forget our email address. It's contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. And follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. All right. On top of everything else we're going to talk about after our stats and our notes, we'll go through the overview. But we also have some other things, such as dissecting the Delos corporate map, talking about discoverwestworld.com, including the terms and conditions waiver. I know you've probably heard about that elsewhere, but we haven't had a chance to talk about the finer points. We'll go over some of the codes that you can put into that access section of Discover Westworld. And we'll talk about the five things you may have missed from this episode. So let's get into it. We're going to review episode 102, Chestnut. Directed by Richard J. Lewis, written by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. IMDb gave this a 9 and Rotten Tomatoes a 95%. Nice. Overall, it seems, they preferred episode 2 to episode 1. What were your thoughts overall? Well, I'm not going to give my reveries, but I think it was just as good, if not maybe a little better. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people talked about episode one feeling like a self-contained thing, that it could have almost been a movie Okay. on its own. They brought things up and they resolved certain things. I enjoyed episode two because it answered a lot of our questions that we had, but it also prompted so many more. I know they threw a lot at us, but I was really having fun with this one. One thing, of course, we have to mention is that this was released early. 
I'm sure a lot of you probably watched it early, although they said, according to the numbers, the majority mm-hmm. of people waited until Sunday night. Yeah, we almost did because we just had so many other things going on. Uh, if you did sign up to discoverwestworld.com, they did send you an email as well from Delos. Yeah, and they said because of the presidential debate that was recurring on the day of the release, they decided regardless of the regular airing, they would release it three days earlier by surprise streaming. And, you know, they had fun with that. They yeah, said they cool. were hacked. And in comparison to our last episode, we only have one music note for this one. It was No Surprises by Radiohead, of course, the piano version. And I think that was the leaked after episode one that they would also do a Radiohead song. All right. On to our fun facts. One pretty cool fact. Uh, Anthony Hopkins just started Twitter. And I found that. <laughs> that's, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. There's a video with him and Mark Wahlberg. And essentially, it was Mark Wahlberg introducing Anthony Hopkins to the Twitter world. And it was funny because, you know, we look at Hopkins as this strong character on TV that could eat your face, (laughs) that could create robots, all that stuff. But he he just seems like a cool dude, normal guy. Yeah. But I'm willing to bet that he's not going to be the one updating Twitter. I would imagine a lot of these people are not doing yeah. it on their own. <laughs> Mr. Robot, a lot of that cast, they really are doing it. It's yeah. a younger cast. And it's that kind of show. Yeah. But, you know, Anthony Hopkins has released some things about Westworld, and I'm like, there's no way he's writing this. Mm-hmm. On our Twitter, which is at CKC Podcast, we have a link to a thisisinsider.com article, which talks about a virtual reality experience of Westworld at the New York Comic Con this year. There is currently a pop-up location in New York City designed to look like the Delos arrival area Mm. where fans of the show can play guest for 15 minutes in a VR experience. Oh, that's cool. Very Mr. Robot-esque. I feel like they're following the lead of Mr. Robot. There are certain things like that plugged in here. Which is cool. I don't mind it. Find what works. See what fans like. And they're doing it in this really cool way. I want to go to that pop-up and check that out. We also have on our feed, a link to a Vulture article titled The Secrets Behind Westworld's Opening Title Sequence, where they speak to the designer, Patrick Clare. You may know him best for his work on the opening title of True Detective. Mm-hmm. Remember how epic that was? And it's pretty cool. They really go into depth of what made him use such imagery and what gave him the feeling, what made him bring that up. You know... <laughs> I really like looking at these opening title sequences. And another one that comes to mind, it's nowhere near the beauty of this. Something about, though, the feeling of it is a little reminiscent of the Night Manager as well. Hmm. The way things slow pull up on the screen and just that kind of monotone black and white coloring. Okay. Totally different content and style, but there's just a feeling to it. Well, I think that's just the case of... uh styles coming in what's and popular out of right now yeah so that's the style that people are really digging right now so they'll follow that mm-hmm. i do that with my designs you know certain styles are in so you tweak that and utilize that yeah well also we'll talk about this more later but they have a strong black and white theme mm-hmm. running through both visually and thematically in westworld a lot of people have been bringing up the white hat, black hat thing, which yes. we will get to when we talk about Logan and William. I don't want to spend too much time because you've probably heard all that before. Right. But it exists elsewhere, including this opening title sequence. Mm-hmm. At first, I wondered if they were trying to show us that these people were going to be split into groups of white and black, good and evil, 
this feels like too complex of a show mm-hmm. to be that. Like they'll present it as that, but eventually they're going to muddy the waters and oh, you're yeah. going to have to question. But then I thought, what if they're playing with something different? And they're trying to show us that the humans in this show actually are very black and white, and it's the so-called robots that have more humanity and more grayness to them. I like that. I like that theory. That's cool. But uh, the black and white, I I love the juxtaposition between the dirty Wild West Mm. and the clean, white-walled, white-floored real-world depictions. Yeah. You know, it, it acts as showing us that it looks futuristic, kind of like an Apple store. I mean their subway was cleaner than our house. Mm. And, you know, because we don't know what the future holds, that's what we see the future being, everything very clean. You can say cold, probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's just, it, again, it's a, it's a juxtaposition between the world that is created and the real world. Yeah, well, the creation, the fabrication of Westworld feels more real. Even when they go to those shots... It's not just dirty. Mm-hmm. It's bright. It's vibrant. The colors, it's so saturated. Yeah. And the landscape looks so beautiful, even when it's gritty and dirty in the saloon. You just right. feel like <laughs> you're so much a part of things. Even the dresses that the women wear, very yeah. colorful. Whereas the quote-unquote real world felt a little sterile. Yeah, definitely. So that's what we found on Twitter we have that and many other stories. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at CKC Podcast. And feel free to talk to us. We write back constantly. And we're creating a, a good following there. I just love talking to the fans throughout the week. Yeah. So we're not just talking once a week to them. That's the best part of this experience. And we'll go to our Clatcher's comments section a little bit later on. I will save the bulk of our responses for that. But I had a fun fact for you, Jason. Awesome. Go for it. From one of our listeners, Rachel, from North Wales, UK. We'll mention her thematic points later, but she ends by saying, gossipy side note related to your interest in the stunning Angela Serafian and her history with Rami Malek. Yes. Because she's a robot fangirl. They did date around the time they starred in the last Twilight film together. They were both vampires of the Egyptian coven. Okay. Her and Rami. But Rami is now rumored to be dating Portia Doubleday. Oh, Angela in the storyline. <laughs> so he dated a real-life Angela and a character Angela. There we go. As word would have it. But that makes me wonder, is Angela Serafian now free? For me? Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Clementine signal? single? I think so. Let's say yes. <laughs> Feel free to email me. I have a, a last fun fact, which is we spoke about discoverworld.com last week. And this week, I just want to bring up the Delos website. It's delosincorporated.com. Mm-hmm. Which, again, kind of reminds me of Mr. Robot. So they actually have the incorporated website. And uh, this, you can get access to the Delos security panel. And I, I believe that might have been what you were reading off of last week. Yeah, we talked about both. I went into some of the email chains that we were reading comes off of the site you're referring to. Okay. And we'll have some more information about that on this episode, too. So let's jump into our overview, where we start out with Dolores being roused in the middle of the night by a strange voice asking, do you remember, and prompting her to walk outside. I know this is early to ask the question, but it's something that there's been a lot of speculation on, and I was so 100% positive when I heard it, and Mm. now I don't know that I'm questioning it. I still believe, but I want to hear your thoughts. Whose voice did that sound like to you? Well... I was pretty positive that it was Bernard, but while I was doing the website today, 
I had this episode on loop. I watched it maybe four times. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I was working on the site, so I wasn't watching diligently. But every time I heard that, I was like, mm, I don't know if it is him. I think it's meant to make us think that it may be him. And it could be him. I heard another podcast, and I'm sorry, I, I can't give credit because I don't remember. I listened to a ton of other podcasts to hear what people are discussing in addition to our own feedback. And my friends, people are watching, say, somebody mentioned that they watched it with closed captioning. Okay. And the subtitles indicated it was the man leading them to think it was the man in black. But oh. I didn't hear that cadence at all. I wonder. I 100% got Bernard off of it. And between that and Bernard actually talking to Dolores one-on-one later, there wasn't a doubt in my mind. Although I am questioning if he's in league with anybody or really going rogue and doing this stuff on his own. Yes. And I do want to go deeper into Bernard, but I think we will wait on that. I also think the way the man in black might come into play to mix with this, perhaps it's Bernard speaking to her. But this is also a little muddled with memories she's having. Mm -hmm. We see later that the hosts are starting to have flashbacks or memories to what appears to me to, again, maybe a little obviously be the event that happened 30 years ago that caused massacre in the streets. Looks like what the original film was based off of that robots turned and started slaughtering guests. So it seems like they're flashing back to that time. I feel pretty confident that the man in black was there and played some part in that event. I don't know on what side and for what purpose, but I wonder if it could be mixing a little bit and she has memories of the man in black. She's sort of getting some of that. Um, perhaps, yeah. Because we see that Maeve also, later on we'll talk about, has memories yes, of him. Yes, that's right. It's important to note that this episode starts off with this Dolores scene mm-hmm. and ends with this scene. And this is the second time, right? Episode one started off with them pulling up on her in the dark room, being questioned, you know, naked. Right. And they run the interrogation on her. And then it ends with her swatting the fly. Yeah, but I mean, this was the actual scene, the same exact scene. Right. Repeated, yeah. but, but also two episodes in a row that we open and close with Dolores. Oh, I see. Yeah, she's going to be our main. heavily on her being the main Definitely. person, right? Well, that was kind of a brief sidebar as episode one did the same thing, the intro, when they investigated her and then they jumped into our full plot. This one does that and we go now to two young businessmen. Mm -hmm. Logan, played by Ben Barnes, I guess the shit side of the couple here. Yes. And William, played by Jimmy Simpson, who appears to be the nicer guy. We'll talk about their characters more at length. But they are disembarking from a luxury train at Westworld's arrival terminal. We learn later that this is an area called Mesa Gold. Now, when we were talking about going through the Discover Westworld and the different things you could find out, mm-hmm. you could get to that Delos website and pull this up where it's, it's a video. It's almost a little bit of an animated schematic where the map comes up. You can also get to it by entering these access codes into the Discover Westworld site. Very cool. Okay. You have to figure out different keywords that will prompt things to pull up on your screen. So Reddit found some of these. White Hat, Black Hat brings up their Facebook page, (laughs) a link to the new stuff that's going on there. 
You also have Violent Delights, which is, I think, the one that pulls up the Delos website. And a couple people mentioned other things. I couldn't really get any others to work. I thought for sure Deep and Dreamless Slumber would do something. Yeah. And I don't think it really did. But anyway, there's a bunch of different ways to find this. You can pull up the Delos corporate map. And you get the Westworld Mesa Hub, which they refer to. Here, you can see at first glance, there is this mesa, I guess, right? It's a mountain, a flat mountaintop structure. Yes. And it appears as though the entire Delos building is yeah. built into the side of this mountain. Into the inside of the mountain. Yeah. So we're going to start off at the very top, as though you were on the entrance portion of the flat mesa top. What's above ground seems to be the area, perhaps, where Teresa was going out to smoke a cigarette when she was talking to Sizemore. Yes, that's, that looks it. And that in the very top says Mesa Gold, and then you start going into what appears to be underground. So on the top left, you have executive offices top right executive living quarters. I don't know who the executives technically are. Is this the administration they refer to? Is this people like Teresa herself? I don't really know that that's been distinguished yet, but it seems like this is the nicer area. And then a little below that on the left, you have regular living quarters. And I guess maybe for other people that work in the facility. Then you go down a bit and you have the control room. Underneath that, administrative offices, then narrative and design. Then you have the behavior and lab diagnostics, I guess. Which we see often. Yeah, Yeah. running these things. And uh, just under that, manufacturing. So I guess where we saw them building the people on the horses. Then you have livestock management. Horses and all that. That's a little below halfway down. Then underneath that, you have archives. Then in the bottom third, you have Arrivals Monorail Terminal. Okay. And that seems to be where Logan and William first enter with that futuristic monorail that drops them off, and they're greeted by the new host, dressed in white. What's interesting, underneath that is old disused facilities, and I think that must be the area that we see that looks like an older welcome center. And an older monorail, things that have fallen into disrepair. I don't know why they're just being left there. And then at the very bottom, you have cold storage. Way down there. And yeah, that's really at the base of the mesa. So how do they get to this? These areas. This image? Oh, by going to that Delos website. And then which code is that? Well, this if you go to the Delos website, it'll just pull it right up. Oh, great. Okay. But if you go to Discover Westworld... Dot com into the access thing, you can enter Violent Delights. And, and it sends you to this. This is sort of a fun way of taking you there, maybe before you had access just by going to the website. I'm not sure. This answers a lot of questions to us. We still don't know where this whole thing is located and how guests are getting to the monorail that brings them in here. But from the moment they step off, we are aware of what's happening. And we do actually see these immense spiraling escalators later when Bernard is going down to his room. Yeah. Just the floors upon floors. And this looks like it spirals around a bit. So I'm wondering if they just go all the way down. It's pretty genius. This is how they're able to have this huge building in this Western world. With nobody seeing it. With nobody seeing it, yeah. But there was a lot of talk on other podcasts about 
what that must do to the people that work there. It seems as if they live there. They're not allowed to really go off-site. No, they're not. I think they get reprieves. Yeah, so they were talking about if they work in shifts. So they're there for X amount of weeks or months, and then they go home for a little bit, and then they come back. If there's a home. Because a lot of the questions that are being brought up, what does the rest of the regular world look like at this time? Are they on Earth as we know it, and is it functioning properly? Now, I had played with the idea of the world has gone through some kind of bad stuff. Mm -hmm. We're still around. People are still there, but it's not great, and we're afraid for where the future is heading, and maybe they were experimenting with a place like this. But the people that are coming in don't Don't seem seem to be nervous about anything. anything. No, and, and William and his friend are business people. And it takes a lot of money to get here. So there's still they economy. They come here regularly. So I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering then maybe what I said before, if nature and experience of being out like this in wide open areas amongst natural splendors is something we've lost. And that's part of what makes this so interesting. Maybe, but us right now in RL haven't lost that. And I would love to go check that out. Because we have true. we don't live in that environment, so That's it's not true. necessarily about nature. I don't could think. just be different. Yeah, but also uh, Jamal, who's not here right now, but he spoke last week about not seeing the real world. Mm-hmm. But now we do. We got to see the real world future, and we got to see what it looks like. Kind of, but nothing really outside of Delos still. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah, because they entered on that monorail, so we don't know outside of the park still. And we do see that the clothing is not very futuristic. It is so nondescript. They're being very careful to not tell us anything about this could be in the past, this could be in the future. Like, just very plain. They did a good job with. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they didn't give. Whenever a movie or a show tries to depict what the future clothing would look like, Mm -hmm. it often looks cheesy. Even the monorail was just, they tried to keep it super simple so that we still don't quite know how far forward we've gone. Right. But again, I love, like, in episode one, they take us in on the train. They introduce us to the world with the characters. It's happening again. Logan and William are coming in on the monorail. We see them from the very first entrance in when they get off on the platform into the welcome center, and they're greeted by the host. There was a lot of questioning about the relationship. I guess maybe people missed when they initially described that Logan and William were business partners. They were saying, are these two friends? They don't seem to really like each other. Maybe he's a brother-in-law or a brother-in-law-to-be and he's being dragged on. It seemed very clear to me they work together. Yes. This is somehow prompted by work that they're supposed to go. But another big portion of it is that Logan has been before and he's basically dragging William along. So Logan believes that William presents one way in his daily life, but if exposed to Westworld, he could draw out. Yeah, I get that feeling, too. They're definitely co-workers. I don't think William likes Logan very much. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that William is kind of like a tight person. He doesn't do anything extravagant. Plays by the rules. Yeah, he's very... uh, Careful with other people. Mm-hmm. A little socially awkward, which the host herself tells us later. Yeah. And Logan is going to show him the ropes, so to speak. Tell him what to avoid, what he should do. He's no stranger to this park. 
So they're immediately escorted away by two different hosts and separated. Angela, which is William's personal host. We have another Angela. What is going on with this name? (laughs) I didn't even realize that was her name. She brings him into the back, into this room that I was so excited to see. I honestly, people said they were happy that they rushed through it, that they didn't want to see him going through different outfits. But I wanted a little more of a glimpse of that inner world. He's just getting exposed. He doesn't know what it's about. He's asking her questions and she's not really answering. You see the way this works right off the bat, that you're just dumped right into Westworld and they don't tell you. She just says, there are no rules. This is half the fun is figuring out what to do and what not to do. And essentially, you can have anything you want, including me. But he's not into it. Well, again, I think it's he's being very polite. He's very uncomfortable with it. He's not ready to just stop the uh, social norms that he's used to and go for it. She was hot. I would have done something. Not even the having sex. He doesn't even want her to be there while he changes to help him. Yeah. So she leaves him to pick out his clothing and his weapons, which she says were all tailored just specifically for him. for him. So that's where some of the cost comes in, definitely. So this is not even just, here's all the clothes of your size, and your, it's like, these were made for you. Yeah. So he picks one, but I get the feeling that he'll have access to these if he's staying longer, and he can you know, change the next day or come and get a different hat. I don't know. I think it's important to point out that William is going to be that part of our consciousness that is very afraid, uh, very uh, careful, and maybe like the better parts of human nature. We're going to see a lot of black extremes. He's that left extreme. And then we're going to see, I mean, his friend Logan's kind of the right extreme. Mm -hmm. So it's, they're playing with our minds already, the show. They're playing with our minds and also exposing us to the different ways you can play the game at this park. They often say you're starting off with choosing white hat or black hat. Mm -hmm. We heard people talk about, oh, the first time I came, I did the family fun thing, and then I came back and went straight evil. Yeah. (laughs) I also love that episode one really took you through in the eyes of the hosts. We hardly got a glimpse at all of our guests. My father was actually talking about this, that he was really frustrated with, where are the guests? Why aren't we seeing anything from their point of view? And I think that was intentional, that they want you to start off the bat feeling for the hosts, understanding that it's their world, this is their story, and eventually you're going to sympathize with them. But you also do want a bit of that other side of the perspective. Yeah. And now you're getting that episode two. They take you in through the eyes of the guests. And they're almost going to be your narrators for things we are saying. The ideas that bother us. Oh, they can really do that in this world? Mm-hmm. Is this right? Isn't anybody worried about the host? That's William. He's going to speak for us in that sense. Yeah, you're right. And then you're going to have Logan giving the opposite side of the argument. That's what this is made for. You do whatever you, you want. Out. Yeah. Don't get sidelined by these stupid family stories. I want to show you the real thing. This dialogue with Angela and William where he asks, are you real? Mm. And she says, if you can't tell, does it matter? I think that question, if you can't tell, does it matter? Everyone should remember that because when we're inevitably going to have our brains be tested as are these hosts doing the right thing by Mm -hmm. rebelling or are they not? Should we feel bad about them? If you can't tell, does it matter if they're real? And that was on a lot of the previews and promotionals for this story. They clearly think that's an important statement. 
the okay. creators of Westworld. They often showed you this girl. I wondered when we would see her and saying that very line. It also brought up some questions for me that she seems to be aware in order to respond like that, there mm-hmm. seems to be some kind of knowledge that she's not real. I mean, I guess she could just be programmed to say that and not really understand what it means, but she's interacting with them in a very different way than the hosts inside, inside of Westworld would right. be. And I imagine that all of these initial hosts have the same thing going on, so they must have a very different programming structure going on. Definitely, because her job is to make them feel comfortable and ease them into it. The host jobs are to do what their character's storyline is. Mm-hmm. Make them feel uncomfortable where they should shoot them or make them feel sexy so they have sex with them, you know. Yeah, these so people have to cross over. They yeah. have to meet you and explain to you that you're coming into this different world. So it feels like they must have some knowledge of that. Definitely. And I don't know how they make that work without them knowing or questioning too much themselves. But that was interesting. Like I said, William is presented with his final choice once he gets dressed of the white hat or the black hat which role will you play okay so obvious question that i'm sure everyone has asked Mm -hmm. does that represent good or evil clearly i think it's a little too obvious but i think it's too obvious on purpose well and that's what i said i think they're making statements it's not just which way are you going to play the game which might be a small part of it because if you are being exposed to this thing for the first time and they're not telling you anything about how to play it, some symbols to get you started might help. Here's your first choice, and it's very apparent to any visitor that comes in. Everybody understands that metaphor. Which way do you want to play? Who are you? And Ford told us that a good portion of this game that people enjoy and keep coming back for is to not really figure out who they are, because they know, but who they could be. So you start off, okay, this is who you are. You're comfortable with the white hat. Logan is clearly comfortable with the black hat. He has an entire black outfit on as we come to see later. But that idea, I feel, will be challenged very shortly. But this is a nice way to step you up. I think I'd be the nice guy, but I would want the black get up because it just looks better. It looks so much cooler. You have to admit, Logan looked pretty awesome. I'm just saying I don't foresee this show being so on the nose with everything. And I can see them playing with our heads and our emotions already. They're just tickling these little thoughts. Yeah, I talked about in episode one that they were presenting the man in black too starkly. He was dressed all in black, seemingly the bad guy. Mm -hmm. I thought they would turn you on your head a bit with that shortly in, that it's possible the things he's doing aren't necessarily as horrible as they seem. Yeah, I don't think him trying to find the maze, and we'll get deeper into that, is him being a bad guy. I think you, you and Jamal were right. Yeah, we even said, and a lot of people now have mentioned since then, but I talked about it in episode one, I wasn't even sure that he was taking Dolores off to rape her. That that was more about figuring out the game the same way he did with Kissy. Maybe. And knowing that the older hosts have some secrets to tell because they have advanced to this next level of knowledge and understanding and he can pull that from them. I see that. Maybe that's how he got into her head. Where he could speak to her, and that is his voice. And people are wondering, is he the one implanting these time bomb codes? (laughs) You know, Violent Delights is going to trigger you to start remembering and awakening. Which could mean he might be in league with Bernard or Dr. Ford, or at least they're following similar aims. Or he's at odds with one of them, and he's figured out these secrets to go against 
Maybe he knows that Ford is trying to evolve these people, and he thinks that's a dangerous game because he saw what happened 30 years ago when Ford tried to pull that off, and they got too human, and it was bad for them. They understood what they were. This is an ethical dilemma, and he's seeing that happen again, and he doesn't want to let it. But that's going to be fun to look at later on. Now we are just getting going on our story with Logan and William, who, after William is dressed... They walk him through a door, and I thought he was going to wind up in the Mariposa Saloon, where everybody starts oh, right. out in the center of town, Yeah. until I notice the movement, and I'm realizing right along with him that he's on a train, and this <laughs> so is the cool. train that takes you into Westworld. How did he walk from a stationary room onto a moving train? Well, the train wasn't moving yet. It, it started moving when he goes, when, when do we go? Oh, it did? Yeah. I thought he walked on and it was moving. No, no. Right away. Because then everything started shaking. And okay. Like, oh yeah. We're so it pulled up, kind of like the monorail would on the inside, mm-hmm. and all of the doors walk into a car on the train, and they walk in, and then it starts moving. Yeah, many cars. Right. And that's why these doors. And I love Different how the rooms. door is looks like a regular door, and then yeah, you're it's in a train. A, you're all of a sudden in the world. Bam. It's no a perfect breaking from the immersion. It's a perfect way to to shock you into this new world. Like you don't walk to it from a real world and then kind of like have to slowly wrap your mind around it. No, it's total like, immersion. Boom, They're throwing you in the deep end of the pool. Yeah. And you've got no no <laughs> flotation device. You figure Westworld out as you go. I love how the center of the park is safe and the further out you get, the more dangerous and adventurous. We were asking those questions last episode. We talked about that and it getting more dangerous at night, which we're also getting cues about here and there. People are supposed to wrap up their Mm storylines according to these emails by 11.59 p.m. So whatever it is, we haven't seen what happens at night or too far outside of town, but it's another kind of world. While we're talking about that, is this world really for kids? Because even in the safest part, the center of the park, we've seen gun shootings. We saw the robbery with our characters that I hope come back, Hector and Armistice. Mm Mm-hmm. And then during these times, we don't see any kids. Anymore. No, we don't. So we've where seen are they? one real family with a real kid, totally separated from the rest of the yeah. park. And we also saw on these Discover Westworld email chains mm-hmm. them talking about the possibility of moving this towards more family friendly because those numbers are down. Okay, and they want to try to promote that. But the administration that was responding was telling them to cut it. No, we don't want to gear it towards more family stuff. That's not our target audience. audience. So there might be sections that we haven't seen yet that are mainly for kids. That are safe. You know, the the husband did say we don't want to cross the river. It's more dangerous over there to the family. And looking at this waiver that we'll talk about later that you need to sign, mm-hmm. most responsible parents would never sign that. This is not Disney World. For themselves, much less their children. Back on our storyline, we'll move a little more quickly through the next couple of scenes. First, fixated on Peter Abernathy's glitch, Elsie insists that something is fucked up with his cognition. Something's fucked. She's talking to Bernard, and she, in fact, wants to pull Dolores as well. She realizes, I think she wants to actually rebuild Peter or look at this more to figure out why it happened. Because it appears as though there's been episodes of cognitive dissonance where they realize things aren't quite right, but it hits them immediately and they malfunction. Yeah. Or it doesn't hit them at all and they get over it. For Peter, he almost seemed to be pondering this. It set off a thought. He was able to think about it and come to an awareness. That's 
an executive brain function that he should not be capable of doing, and she wants to know how it got that way. This shows us a little bit about what we were saying of Elsie last time. She's smart. Very. She's very aware and realizes they'll show us later on. She's more in tune with what's going on with these hosts. And I said I thought she would be the one to question and dig a little too deep on things. She's already doing that, and Bernard is shutting her down here, telling her to let it lie and leave the story up to the people. You know, basically don't worry about it. That it's fine, they're going to figure it out, and the glitch is in the reverie code that Ford implemented, and they'll fix it. I don't know if he really means that, or if he's saying that, because we see that he has other things going on too, and I think he's trying to figure it out. Yeah, I wonder, is he protecting Ford and trying to get to the bottom of on, on his own before other people realize because he cares for Ford and he, wa- he believes in this mission? Or does he have a secret agenda of his own? Well, I was going to wait till we get that, to that scene, but might as well bring it up now. I'm sure that a lot of people think he might be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I was starting to think that too, but around the third or fourth time I watched it, I actually think, especially with that scene that we will go to later, when he's speaking to Dolores, mm-hmm. uh, where no one knows he's speaking to Dolores, it sounds like he's trying to do something bad. But I think what he's trying to do is utilize her computer to find out if anyone's messing with to her. To uncover. Uh, and then also keep her kind of aware of things. And he's trying to figure out someone else is messing with the system. And he even brought that up to Dr. Ford. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's bad. So the I man in black is messing with the robots. Or someone else. Okay. But but it's I don't think Bernard is the bad guy, and it'll show later. And he, he may even be a robot. He cites, he cites sabotage later, too. Yeah. I want to try not to get stuck know, on this but who I is a robot is. thing, because everybody is making so much of that. I know that's fun, and it is really exciting to kind of dive See, into yeah. that. And normally we're all about the crackpot. Mm-hmm. But I've heard... A lot already. Oh, my God. This one could be a robot. That could be a robot. Right. It's just like, I don't really think that's the point of what they're no. driving at here. I agree. There probably will be a host among who you think the creators, the managers, yeah. all that side. There probably will be somebody, whether that's Ford or Bernard or Teresa. But Yeah, but I, I'm not going to try to do that. But with Bernard, if you listen to the way Dr. Ford speaks to him, he's often like, he says, do you know what the issue is? And Bernard says, this was last episode, um, not yet. And he goes, hmm, that's unlike you. You normally have the answer. You like do, don't you? testing him. Or that he knows because he's made him. Mm-hmm. And he's always like, you normally do this. Or this is unlike you. It feels very like it's a computer that he's talking to. Yes, I agree. But the argument has also been made about Ford because he seems to be able to have some control over this world that other people do not have and to be able to access it without using a device and programming. And He's the creator. I, I agree. He's the magician. He has special abilities because of that, not because he's a robot. If you open up a website and you need me to check out the code, I can do it in three seconds. It looks like magic, but it's just that I know the code. But you need the computer to do that. You can't just wave a hand and have a snake stop moving. Right, but those could be hand signals that he programmed in there. Specifically for himself, so that he has ultimate control. I agree with you. I think more than likely he is being enhanced or kept alive through some kind of added mechanical 
programmed artificial something that he's human, but he's a bit of both, maybe. Maybe I don't know, but I don't think all the way. I'd make if I was a robot, I'd be like, "Why'd you make me old?" The fuck? No, I mean like <laughs> you know, like he's failing, and maybe his liver went, and so they oh, had to okay. give him an artificial liver. You know what I mean? Something yeah. like that, but he's not completely host top to bottom. Anyway, back on our storyline. Sorry. Speaking of Dolores, she walks through town and suddenly remembers. Oh, scary scene. She sees the street. There's a lot of dead bodies around. We said this could be that incident from 30 years ago. It was pretty major. That's what her and Maeve both are seeing. So something Uh big happened. And in fact, it is Maeve here that interrupts the memory, starts talking to her. And this is when she shares the warning, the cue, the contagion, the trigger, whatever you want to call it, the violent delights. Have violent ends. This is what spreads the virus. Because Maeve was doing fine until she heard that. Mm-hmm. Dolores was doing fine until she heard that from mm-hmm. Peter. This is the, the demand cue that someone implanted into Peter, and now it's going to spread under everyone's noses like a virus. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that phrase too many times because I've heard it a thousand times. No, the violent delights phrase on other podcasts. But I do just want to mention that it is another Shakespearean thing. This is from Romeo and Juliet. Okay. We talked about how he speaks a lot. In those classical references that could just be chalked up to his prior build was supposed to be somebody who knew a lot of Shakespeare and was in this storyline. I think they are making references and they'll make more of them later. We also are going to see other things that they are able to do that they should not be able to as hosts, such as wake themselves up. So was this programmed into them by somebody? Or like you said, is this a code they're not supposed to have access to that was given to one host and now being spread to others? And I think what it does is it slowly infiltrates. And as time goes on, it spreads throughout the host. Taking time bomb. And yeah, and things are going to go awry. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, we had a listener and... Fuck, I forgot the name. I didn't write it down. On Twitter that said, in that scene when Dolores is looking at all the dead bodies, mm-hmm. he's like, is that a dire wolf? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was perfect. <laughs> Next, we go to the man in black who arrives in time to free Lawrence, played by Clifton Collins Jr., a new character here. He's blindfolded. He's being hung up from the gallows, about to be hanged. And he comes and shoots everybody else and takes him down. Yep. And I love that because you don't get to see it happen. Mm-hmm. You're in Lawrence's position, just hearing the shots and wondering. Cool. You knew it was going to be him that survived, but they show you the fear that's going on. Again, a very human emotion yeah. happening in this host. I need to reiterate that Ed Harris is the perfect person to do this role. I love him. I think he's doing fantastic with it. We'll talk about that more later. There was... Some complaints, but I think maybe just looking at scenes the wrong way. Yeah. And if you change your perception on that a little bit, it might bring you more enjoyment. So the man in black here thrusts Kissy's scalp at him with the maze on the inside. What? What is this? You know exactly what it is. It's the maze, the deepest level of this game. You're going to help me find the entrance? No. 
illustration that looks like programming, like some kind of brain, but also definitely reminiscent of a maze. Yes. Now that we're thinking Absolutely. about it. And he says he's convinced Lawrence can help him find the entrance to the maze. So this deeper level he's been talking about, he is targeting these older hosts who could know from Dolores to Kissy to Lawrence now. Then we go back over to Maeve, who is flirting with a disinterested guest when she begins to remember. This brutal attack is coming back to her more and more, and she's being pulled out. The guest is clearly alarmed by this behavior and not interested anymore. And then Maeve reawakens in a diagnostic state where the narrative texts are trying to just basically bump up her aggression a bunch. They have no subtlety, no finesse or understanding. Let's just make her attack the guests, make her more sexy. That'll work. And what's frustrating is that if she doesn't do this right and they can't tweak it, to get her to do her storyline the way they want it, they're just going to decommission her. Well, we're seeing the fact that to these other people, it's just a job. And they have these nuisances often, and they just want to get it off their plate. So maybe her numbers are down, and they must they think, well, she lost that person because she like just went into a uh, thought pattern about her she was withdrawing, Dream. yeah. And she was just like, she got frozen. And it was very awkward, so that guy just left. So we bump up her aggression because she's supposed to be the head mistress. And maybe that'll fix it. Yeah, but they clearly don't have a lot of understanding about the nuance to human behavior and what's actually going to sell this for people. Because we're going to see later that bumping it, it up work. by 10 points is no good. That's going to turn people off. And they send her back into the fold to see what's going to happen. Meanwhile, troubled by this Abernathy incident, Bernard goes to talk to Ford to tell him he retired the two hosts, but he's worried that there might be outside interference, perhaps even sabotage. So this is the line. I don't know who he thinks is in on this and perpetrating it. We retired the two hosts in question. You taught me how to make them, but not how hard it is to turn them off. You can't play God without being acquainted with a devil. There's something else bothering you, Bernard. I know how that head of yours works. The photograph alone couldn't have caused that level of damage to Abernathy, not without some other uh, outside interference. You think it's sabotage? You imagine someone's been... Diddling with our creations? It's the simplest solution. Huh? Mr. Arkham's razor. The problem, Bernard, is that what you and I do is so complicated. We practice witchcraft. We speak the right words. And we create life itself. Out of chaos. William Bavarkin was a 13th century monk. He can't help us now, Bernard. He would have us burned at the stake. Well, this is again to show us that uh, opposite of what we were just saying of, of people that just work there and it's just a job to them. To Ford and Bernard, it's way more than that. And Bernard is actually having guilt, like he killed someone. 
mm-hmm. by putting them away. And he even asks him, does it get any easier? I, I've never done this part before. Dr. Ford says, you can't play God without being acquainted with the devil. Mm, I love that. So which is he? Who's Ford? The devil or God? Very unclear at this point. I think it's unclear to him now, I too. think, yeah, I think he believes there's always going to be a bit of both. That by trying to create this evolution and this new life, you're bound to tap into some pretty dark places and ethical questions. I believe he knows all that. I think he's been doing this on purpose. He feels there's a reason for allowing these beings, prompting these beings to evolve and become sentient. But he does understand there's risk and consequences involved. Yeah. And I think he's been bringing Bernard in only a little bit on this, and he sees the concerns that he's having right now. Mm-hmm. And that could be why Bernard is doing a little bit of searching of his own. Yeah. He wants to buy in, but he needs to know how far this goes. It's another deep conversation that they have, and I, I feel like Dr. Ford needs him to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. That's why you think maybe he made him. But there's also something else that Ford says, and I don't believe it's in that conversation, but... Going back to these violent delights have violent ends, mm-hmm. which I won't go he back to often. <laughs> um, things start to fuck up at that point. Yeah. Dr. Ford has said, we speak the right words and we create life itself. We out speak the right words it's out of chaos. Right. Is that a hint? Is oh, a for clue? sure. You speak the right words. For sure. There are programmed words. And we're going to find out later. Not everybody knows even some of the ones we've seen. It doesn't seem like deep and dreamless slumber. So there has to be a ton other that only a select few or even Ford himself are privy to. And you can see Bernard's worries as we go next right over to the scene where he is reassessing Dolores himself alone. And he's concerned by the stories of her interactions and what's been going on. Hello. Do you remember our last conversation, Dolores? Yes, of course. And you haven't told anyone about our little talks. You told me not to. Step into analysis, please. How many interactions have you participated in since we last talked? 138 encounters, including this one. And has anyone altered or updated your core heuristics in that time? No. Resuming, I think it would be best if you not mention the things we've been talking about. Have I done something wrong? No, but there's something different about you, about the way you think. I find it fascinating, but others may not see it that way. Have you done something wrong? Turn off your event log, please. Erase this interaction. Confirm. He asks her yes. to keep the conversations between them to wipe all record of this event. He says, there's something different about you, about the way you think. I find it fascinating, but others may not see it that way. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing I was saying, that I, I believe he sees what Ford is doing. He's in awe by a lot of it, and he really respects it, but it's starting to trouble him at the same time. The key, I thought, here was when he says, you haven't done something wrong. Have you, Dolores? And she says, no, have you? 
Right, which is I think is supposed to tip us off as if he might be the bad guy because his response is, this conversation never happened after that. So Yeah, and I didn't even take it as the bad guy. I took it as, why would she even ask this question? That's another True. level of her understanding to what's happening here. I wonder if she's fucking with him. Yeah. But the this is one of the reasons why Ford doesn't want to do what Elsie wants her to do. Wants to do. Oh, shh. Dolores is key to this whole thing. They can't yeah, take her out. Don't take her out and don't redesign her, whatever, and fix it. Mm-hmm. We got to figure out what's going on. Yeah. We cut back again to Maeve, who's putting on that same flirtatious speech, this time to a female. And with her bumped up aggression level, that's really not doing it. So she goes back to the bar. And due to this bad performance, mm-hmm. this is when Stubbs talks about considering decommissioning her. You know, if this was real life and she started doing bad, her mm-hmm. numbers started going down, they would say, well, she's getting old. Yeah. But obviously she's not going to age. So this is what they're thinking. They're not putting enough time into it. They don't care enough. Yeah, and that's what I mean. We've seen them put people into other builds and other Mm storylines. It's weird that they're not even considering doing that with her because she's functioning okay otherwise. Yeah. That they're just going to... feels like they're decommissioning willy-nilly lately, and I wonder if they are more worried than they're letting on, that there are certain cues that they've seen that lead them to believe problems are afoot, and they've kind of been instructed to decommission more quickly now so that that can't get out of hand. And that's why putting somebody like Dolores back would be really not okay. And they have to keep it a secret that this problem extends further. Now we see that under pressure from corporate, Teresa is compelling Bernard to ensure his department is ready for the arrival and the launch of Lee's new narrative. I feel like they're going to be under some kind of big review or something soon. Um, Something's going on. But everybody's very tense about rolling out the new storyline and all this stuff that I guess potentially is going to ensure their continued financial success, probably. Back to Logan and William, who are dining at the Coronado. Logan threatens to shoot a nearby patron just to show the difference between hosts and humans. I thought it was kind of funny that he at some point says to William, you know, you think I'm all about... I don't know, something like tits and ass, and I'm going to be the kind of guy that just wants to come here and shoot things up, but I'm going to show you the real side of this park. But then we basically see him doing exactly that. Yeah. Wanting to shoot people, stabbing this guy with a fork. Later on, he goes to have an orgy at one of the ranches. Um, I'm wondering when he's going to get to this cooler part that he's talking about, but... It was kind of cute because earlier on, William had bumped into this old prospector guy. Wanted to sell him on the treasure hunt thing. He didn't know that at first. The guy fell over into the dirt and he was just trying to be nice. Yeah. And give him a hand up. Well, let's let's back that up a little bit. He actually bumped into the same guy that Teddy bumped into when they got off the train. First, the big tall guy. And that's when uh, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then, <laughs> and then his friend Logan was like, what are you talking about? Do this. And he's like, hey, watch it or whatever. And then what I thought was cool was the next step that we saw in season, I keep saying that, episode one was with that guy that malfunctioned, I'm forgetting his name right now, who was doing like, we need to go get this bad guy. Yeah. He will help me. He's a sheriff at that time. So now we have a guy speaking out to get followers. He seems to be military. 
And he's definitely talking about getting land from the Native Americans. Yeah. Remember, I was said last episode that we haven't even seen the Native Americans yet. So that's going to be an epic storyline. And yeah, and this is what made a lot of people think that the Logan Williams storyline could be happening on a different time frame. That we could be seeing a little farther into the past here because the storyline seems a bit older and you have this older looking host of a prospector who's more pushy, doesn't have the finesse of newer guys. I don't see a ton of evidence to that. I know why they're saying it, Mm -hmm. but I think that, like you said, things might start very similar. That might not even be every single day. It might run on a two-day clip or a three-day clip or whatever. Even if it starts the same every day, things change as guests interact. And that's the beginning of the journey. Everyone gets off there, so maybe that is every day because there's new people. If you're a guest that's been there three days, you're not going to be at that opening section. So that might be the case. But then we get to what you were speaking of. They didn't bump into him. He, He fell off his cart. And that's when William goes to help him. Yeah, yeah, bump into as in Mets. He, okay. he sees him fall in the, in the mud and goes to help him up. So then Logan says, you know, he's just trying to get you to go on his adventure. It's a sidetrack. So this made me ask, in this park, last episode I thought you pay to go into the park and it's open field. But I'm wondering, in this park, do you have to pay for each adventure? Or it might be more expensive, To go on the longer or outside of town storylines. Or I think somebody mentioned, I want to try not to get too into the storylines that are being super talked about on other podcasts, but because I don't love the comparison of this to Disney World. Right. I do, though, get the point here that there is a center hub to the park and that's where they're trying to get more money out of you or sidetrack you into the things they can make additional profit off of. So if you, they could suck you into the treasure hunt, they're going to get you to buy X, Y, and Z. And if you do the shootout, then you'll get the photo taken later, which you can only have a photo taken by Westworld. And so there's much more to sell right here in town. So they want to keep you stuck here and on their specific adventures, things they can make money off of. They don't want you going out and figuring out these other games where you can spend days on end just following that deeper level, that's not going to profit them. So you further. do have to pay for adventures while you're in there, you think? I think you have, I think there's, not that you necessarily have to pay for separate adventures. I think some of the things they'll rope you into in the center of town could run you more money. So they want you staying there and spending more. I think the minute you get outside of their hub, you know, like again, I don't love it, but think of Disney World. If you're right there where the restaurants are and you take the photos and you have the special T-shirt made and the stuffed animals. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's all right here. And so they'll have this guy have you waste more time here Mm -hmm. and do his thing and somebody else wants you to take a photo here. And Logan's saying, don't get trapped by that. We're going to go where the real fun's at. Got it. Okay. On a true adventure, not a bullshit storyline like the treasure hunt. Okay. But you do have to kind of feel bad for this guy. Maybe it's a little bit of being naive or new to the park, but you can see where both of them are coming from. William's like, well, it's this poor old dude, though. Like, maybe the treasure hunt wouldn't be so bad kind of thing, you know? Uh, But he pulls them away from that, and then they're having dinner when the guy interrupts them again, and Logan's really had enough and stabs him with a knife right through the hand. So gruesome. 
I felt bad for the guy. Absolutely. And you can see William feeling the same. But he pulls him out of there and takes him upstairs to this other area where they can have some different kind of fun. That's where we see Logan engaging in this orgy with some girls, a guy. He's got a bunch of hosts in there. He's going for it. He's going hog wild. And trying to get William in on this carnal action, he's in another room just with Angela. He's got the favorite one. I'm sorry, with Clementine. Yep, the best one. You almost think he's going to go for it because she's playing him really well the right way. But he stops her at some point and says he actually is in love. He's got somebody waiting for him. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but perhaps. Feels like it might be, although we see an interaction later that might clue us into him ending up falling for Dolores at some point. So maybe it's the idea of falling in love. He doesn't just want to have sex with any host that doesn't do it for him. Poor Teddy. (laughs) Um, But she's okay with that, weirdly enough. She's been programmed to say a line such as real love is worth waiting for or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. I thought that was very interesting. Well, at the same time, they have to keep their guests happy. So... It's a balancing act. True. And this is, again, just kind of, they're in rooms right next to each other. You see the one doing the more carnal, dark, black thing, and then this guy doing the more white hat thing, and he wants to wait for real love, and you wonder if this is going to last, this kind of more innocent character that William is playing. Now we go (laughs) go to Sizemore, who is dissatisfied with the presentation of these new hosts that he's supposed to be presenting. He doesn't like the way the Native American looks, so he takes a tray to his face and just smashes the poor guy's nose. goes nuts. He loves his storylines and he loves his creations. That's what he's passionate about. Do you know how much money they just spent rolling out this new dude and he wrecks his nose for absolutely no reason? Doesn't look right. He doesn't (laughs) like it. He's being a child yet again. They are painting him as this very petulant, sort of immature. Maybe he's just passionate. He's very, he's very like self-centered and he's all about hearing his own voice through the speech that Hector never got to say. And you're clearly supposed to not like him. Mm -hmm. You're wanting him to get what's coming to him eventually. It's also very much showing you how each one of the employees views the host. So we have Elsie being more sympathetic to them earlier, picking up on things more. You have some people who are just looking at them as robots, bump the aggression by 10, don't really get it. You have a guy like this that doesn't care. This is his tool to hearing his own voice out there with these narratives that he's creating. And if they're not exactly in his image, just break them down and build it back up the right way. Here we go to another scene with the man in black and Lawrence. He's removing his blindfold to show them that they are in a new place, Las Mudas, that we've never seen before. Yeah. And this is where Lawrence's family lives. You get the idea that they've come very far outside of what we've seen before, um, outside of the center of town. Although if you look at the map that they give you on discoverwestworld.com, it is really not that far away, in fact. You have Sweetwater, which is the main hub. A little bit below that was the Abernathy Ranch, where Dolores lives. And then a little below that is this place, Las Mudas. Yeah, that could be kind of far, though. Well, and it seems like they're about to cross into different territory. So you see this darker area in the center. Yeah. Or at least different um, 
from a topological standpoint because right. it's lighter here at the bottom. They call this area old territories. They are just still in this this one central part right now. It's like the happening spot, and then I think the lower part is wasteland, a lot of so, desert. So yeah, you get the feeling the man in black's about to cross over into that. But for now, he's in this town where Lawrence's family lives, trying to get more information. And this is where he locates the wife and daughter. And he starts, he sits them all down. He's demanding information from Lawrence first. Yeah. You can tell that, especially in their first scene together, that he knows Lawrence very well. So he's been planning this for a while. And Lawrence doesn't remember him, obviously, but because he's been wiped but he knows he's probably done jobs with Lawrence. He's probably spoken to him. He knows that Lawrence knows something about the maze. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, we're seeing the man in black now put forth whatever he's been planning for a very long time. Yeah, I had wondered, has he gone through this same shtick with him a ton of times trying to get to the next level? But then I thought about it a little more. I don't think so. I think he's interacted with this guy a bunch through different kinds of encounters like you said he knows all these random things about him like the toonie whistles when he's taking a piss but after all of that however many times of coming here there's still things he didn't know about him he didn't know yeah. about this wife and daughter hidden away in a town True. so can the host keep things from the guests like was he in a sense trying to protect his family because of I think he even said, oh, there's many storylines with all of you. Yeah, that's even weird. Dark, you would think that ones. come up eventually. So I think he's something triggered him to figure out another. He knew this other level was here, but he's yeah. finally taken a step towards it prior to episode one. Mm -hmm. That's when he decided he's got to really ramp it up and he went and scalped Kissy and he did whatever he did with Dolores and now he's going to truly threaten Lawrence because these people are going to help him get there get to this this new game so just threatening them isn't working this is when he decides to take out his posse his family whatever they are and we see that he's doing something funny with the gun and the bullets the entire time he's taking it apart it seems like there's a secret chamber underneath there and he takes out two separate bullets yeah making you to believe those could be real bullets he stores them in a different chamber where he's actually able to fire real bullets but people don't know about it because it's hidden or something along those lines and after shooting them he starts to threaten the wife and the daughter now people were saying what is the point of these shootouts that we keep seeing the man in black have we know that he can't be hurt we mm -hmm. knew that from episode one how is it interesting to keep building these climactic scenes where is he going to get them all and they're panning on yeah. different people? I don't think the point was about that or just yeah. to make him look like a badass or because he would be having fun with shootouts because that wouldn't make sense after 30 years of coming here. I don't think any of that was the point of showing these scenes. No, I think it's to show that he's bored with it. We're kind of bored with it because we know he can't get hurt. So it's kind of letting us know... It's not even fun for him because he knows he can't get shot. He knows he can't get killed. He can just shoot, 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 and just stand there. So it's it's nothing to him anymore. It's boring. Or he's never really gotten any joy out of that because he's not an evil man, and that's not what he's here to do. He's killing these people because they're getting in his way of the game now. But he doesn't come here to get mm -hmm. his rocks off. That's not what he's about. Um, he shows 
something that could even look a little psychopathic where he's threatening the mother and the daughter and he explains to us that he has to access these very base human emotions. Mm -hmm. When they've tried to get too complex with what they're doing with the characters, their cracks show. But if he gets down to those base emotions like fear and suffering, they look more real. Now, you could easily interpret that. He's being evil. He wants to really see them suffer. He wants them to look human. But I think he's analyzing that. He's bringing out the more realistic emotions to look at that and also to trigger them to get to that next level. It isn't until he really pushes them that the little girl breaks and gives the information he wants. And I think that's exactly what he was doing with Dolores that night. So this is where she cuts character. And we haven't seen that done before. The robot in her comes out almost like when they're running the diagnostics. She's like, all right, I give up. Follow the blood arroyo to the place where the snake lays its eggs. She also says the maze isn't meant for you. Mm. Which, what does that mean? And what does he mean when, when he keeps saying, how do I find the entrance and the game? Right. He's calling it the game. Is it just this other level of the game? Or is it an actual maze inside of this world that's going to lead him to something? My question is, have all of the robots been programmed with this higher level game that if you finally do the right things and ask the right questions, they will break character and give you the secrets? Or is somebody real time, the way they're watching him, plugging into her and saying, all right, you did it. We, the creators, are going to speak through her and give you a little gold nugget. I wonder, because we know that they're being watched. Mm -hmm. I think it's more interesting that the computer, the host itself, gives it. Once you've cracked it. So he cracked it. He figured out the right. That would be cool. And I could definitely see that. And maybe even on top of saying the right things and cracking it, you also have to be allowed access to that. So because he's a VIP member and a gold member, if he does play the right way, he could get there. But maybe your regular Joe Schmo couldn't. Now, we do see people watching him. Do you think he is being followed? My father asked, you know, when people come into casinos Mm -hmm. and you know they're, let's say, playing the table table or their card counting or whatever. First, they watch them so that they can see how are they get, how is this guy getting over on us? We want to know what he's doing right. We want to, right, to learn. Do you think that could be what they're doing with him? Or is it just he's being allowed to follow the game because they want him to find something? Because Ford has said, let him get to this point. That's a good question. I don't know. Like, is it generic or is it really more specific to this special dude? Could anybody that came in and paid a ton of money get to where he's at? Or is he special? Hmm. And what does that even mean? We have learned, finally, some kind of time limit that these guests can stay for a max of 28 days. Right. And then they have to go home. This guy says he's never going home. Now, yeah. He's gone home plenty of times, but now he's not. This time he's in it. Now, what do you think he means by that? He's going to find out <laughs> the door to the maze, and that'll answer our question. I don't know what that means. So maybe he could uh, live forever here. Maybe when he unlocks... The game, he's going to bring the whole damn thing down so it won't matter. Maybe he's planning on dying here. 
maybe he's planning on having his consciousness uploaded to a robot so he will live here forever. I wonder. I think it's too early in the show for us to have that kind of real answer, which is good. But, yeah, it's a good thought to have. Good things to ponder, right? This scene is fun. Ford takes a solitary walk through a deserted section of the park. Seems like an area we have not been privy to and is really isolated. I think that's the bottom half of the map. Yeah. And I thought he had mentioned a ghost nation or something along those lines, which you actually do see an area called Ghost Nation way south of Las Mudas. It looks like one of the farthest south areas you can go in what's called the Old Territories. And because it is so abandoned, and we see that building like buried in sand out there, mm-hmm. I- I'm thinking that's got to be somewhere around where he wound yeah, up. I think so. Which makes it curious what he's doing there and also the fact that he's stopped by a young boy who seems to have strayed from his family. I really thought it was a real boy. Yeah, I thought it was a, a kid that strayed from his parents up until right at the end he when had he tells him to go back. whole storyline about being on vacation, it sounded very much like uh, that was going on. And I, I missed, other people said later, the commonalities between them that this kid was actually dressed very similar to Ford. Oh, I didn't notice that. Which it looked like he had like breeches or shorts or something on. So I don't know what was similar. I got to go back and rewatch um, but they were saying, is this one of Ford's creations? Did he put some of himself into this boy so that when he needs to go out and brainstorm and tap his imagination that he had as a child, he can kind of like bounce things off this kid who will look at it with fresh eyes and wonder? Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that theory, not that he's actually somebody from his past, but just this is how I come up with my ideas. I use my own creations and that... That's kind of cool. Maybe furthers the idea of what you're saying about Bernard being... A host, and that's yeah. his next level of doing that. I think what's really important to take from this scene is that we see Dr. Ford in episode one and the beginning of this episode as kind of tired and, and seems like we talked about, is he the God or the devil? And he may be feeling like he's the devil right now, or he's, you know, it's just not as enticing anymore. Mm-hmm. But you see him in this and you so, you see that he loves it and you can see the inspiration in him and his creativity when he goes and sees the dead land and, and the kid says there's this is dead land or something like and that. The little boy's imagination like, oh, no. in him. Listen to the bells. Can't and then you the see bells. the white church? So you saw the passion again in Dr. Ford, but then just as quickly you saw it shut. And that's when he tells the kid to go back. Well, first, the ultimate sign of evil comes slithering up to them in the form of a snake, snake, which is serious religious imagery, if you Mm want to go back to that. Or even just in real life, it's a creature that's threatening and dangerous. Uh, This is where Ford just waves his hand and stops it. Mm -hmm. We have not seen anything like that level of control yet. Kate even says, is that magic? Now, you know that the snake is a host. It's robotic, but... Still, how would that enable him to do that? Now, I am wondering here is what made me think if he has parts in him that are sort of mechanical or created. Like, you know, you talk about people getting chips implanted so they can just wave their hand in front of a device and have things come up. Like, does he have something like that in his hand so that he can control things? He's taken it to the next level of being the creator of Westworld. The God. So I don't know that this just makes him a robot because of that. I think, like you said, being the magician explains it better. 
And he also dismisses the boy just as quickly, tells him to return, and he leaves, as you said. I felt like that was the sad part of him coming back, the way he snapped. Well, other people had a good idea about this, that perhaps his, this is clearly his new idea. Whatever it is, he's brainstorming of this old church out in the middle of the desert, the next thing for the storyline. So they're saying, is he going to allow the host to create their own storyline? So he's just going to implant this idea of, can't you see this church becoming something out here? And the boy's going to go back, and they are going to manufacture their own existence, their own storyline. And the next level is really allowing them to become for themselves, maybe implanting the idea of religion or something else happening there. But that kind of makes me wonder, is this the sort of thing he was flirting with that got him in trouble 30 years ago? We get a bombshell in our next scene. Feeling guilty about their disagreement before, Teresa comes to Bernard's living quarters. Yeah. We learn about this whole other level of their relationship. I did not see that coming. Especially Uh, the way Teresa was speaking to him in episode one. Very odd. I didn't until I saw her going to his room, and then I went, oh, no. They're not going to go there, are they? Yep, they are. And now all those little moments about Bernard that I loved before, like the artist in him looking at her eyebrow arch and wanting to put that into a creation, and that's all just this secret relationship that they've been having. I I wouldn't say that. No, I don't think that's all. I think he's like that with everything, but uh, that probably helped in that part. But I think he's like that with other humans as I well. I don't like this very trite story. I liked the more complex relationship with them, not just yeah. the easy they're having sex thing. Well, it might not be easy they're having sex thing. That might be what makes it complex and difficult. Well, that's where you bring up this topic that I don't like but could be important here if one of them is a host because that takes things to another level that this relationship yeah. is happening. But also, even if they're just both employees, there is supposed to be this rule, again, that you can see on the website about no fraternization between employees there. Wow, when you're stuck in a mountain with no windows and you got for months. And you can't leave, and all the guests that are coming in are just sleeping with hosts constantly. They're all all sexually frustrated. and You can't tell them not to do that. That's ridiculous. But this scene does give us the opportunity to answer your question of last week. Which was, why do hosts speak to each other when no one else is around? He's certainly a man comfortable with long, pensive silences. Although, ironically, your creations never shut up. They're always talking to each other. Even when there are no guests around. They're always trying to air correct. Make themselves more human. When they talk to each other, it's a way of practicing. Is that what you're doing now? Practicing? Yeah, well, that's his explanation to Teresa, right? That they're practicing. And self-correcting, yes. Self-correcting. I wonder if he's telling her the full truth. Maybe he doesn't know the full truth, but I think it goes beyond that, that they are being told to do that so they will continue to evolve. That, And also they have a storyline, so this all follows the storyline. I mean, when the man in black, when the man in black came and spoke to Lawrence, he was getting hung, but there was no real people there. It was all hosts. 
Yeah, but it like if you think about Dolores and her father, which is what brought it up for me the first time. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was around. The hosts know that no guests are going to be around at this point in time. They could literally just sit there on the porch and kind of go into days mode like we've seen Teddy do at times Mm -hmm. where they're updating. They don't need to be talking to each other. They don't need to be continuing their storyline at that point. They were talking just for the sake of talking. So practicing is a good explanation. Self-correcting their program is a good explanation. But I personally thought it went beyond that. This is the next level of them evolving and actually interacting with each other for meaningful purpose. But we actually got a really good comment that I'll just talk about here from our clatcher, Christine, who said in reference to the fact of host interacting when no one's watching, in fact, someone is watching us, which throws us into the role of park visitors, the viewers, and all that that implies. Ooh, I like that. So she's going a little Mr. Robot on this one. (laughs) I like it a lot. We, the audience, are playing a role, and that's what's going on here. Does this also bring up questions for you about where Bernard's true allegiance lies? Could he be sleeping with her because of this administration stuff that's going on and needing to have her on his side, or vice versa? Is she trying to get something out of him? Or do you think they genuinely have a relationship? I don't know. I don't know how anyone could have a relationship with that woman. <laughs> she's evil. Well, it's weird, though, because here she's the one kind of talking and opening up a little more and saying she's not used to hearing him talk so much. Yeah. The Bernard's normally the quiet one. It's, it's his creations that don't shut up. Now we go back to Maeve, where Elsie is stepping in to readjust the clumsy stats that the other techs tried to fix. She's yeah. actually going to fix it the right way. So she's taking a lot of care. She's saying, you know, we're just going to bump the empathy up like 1.5% or the aggression 1.5, bump the empathy a little more or something like that. We're going to make this really more of what a a guest would like. We'll make her more human. This is also when she explains that the hosts are given the concepts of dreams. So they don't actually dream, according to her. They just Mm -hmm. know what it is so that case... Some of the memories get left. If the techs forget to wipe it or something happens, they'll have a way to explain that away. And we did see that happening in the diagnostic room. This is just a dream. Don't worry about it. But again, just another level of Elsie caring more, noticing more. She's getting the way these things work. And now with boosted perception levels, Maeve is able to kind of do her job better, which is to pair guests with her ladies. It's usually not for her to sleep with somebody. She's the madam. She's the proprietor of this place. So she wants to get other customers interested in her girls. And it works. The person goes with Clementine. And she has a little celebratory toast there with Teddy, who gets shot again. This poor guy. Yeah, this this whole part where they were having a good conversation and it felt so real, felt so human, and then he just gets shot out of nowhere... This was actually the first time I really felt bad for them on a human level. Mm. And I think this is going to start happening more and more often to us. And for no reason. The guy was just like, I want to shoot somebody. Now this is a fucking vacation. And it's so, no matter what what it is, that's Teddy's ultimate conclusion. 
in every yeah. story, whether it's because it's built into the, to the narrative or just some I guy know, decides he wants dies. to shoot somebody. That sucks. Again, I'll say poor Teddy. They were having a great conversation. Yeah. And then he gets shot like 18 times. <laughs> well, this next scene was intense, too, where Maeve finally goes home and she's going to go into... Going to sleep because she was tired. I forgot to mention that when she was talking to Clementine before, they were talking about having nightmares. Yeah, and being tired. Right. Yeah. The first cue of many that are going to happen in the latter half of this episode, that more is going on physically with these hosts than we thought. We didn't really think a lot about them having biological processes. Yeah. I mean, we've seen them eat and drink and whatever, but I just thought that was part of making them look more real, but... There's more happening there. Definitely. So she goes home and she actually does dream. This is no (laughs) fake thing happening. She's remembering her life where apparently she had a different build that she was just like on a homestead. She had a child. So it was an older storyline that she was a part of. Yeah. And then she's got these memories of this brutal attack, which we see more in detail. This Native American coming to try to scalp her. They go into this building to hide her and the little girl. She backs up with the gun, mm-hmm. and she's trying to wake herself up. Yeah. So I don't know where she has learned this, this technique, three, two, this three-two-one thing. Is this part of the bug that was implanted in her? This seems like something she's been doing for a while. And how did she figure yeah. that out? Well, there's a couple things I want to talk about. I think this is when she was more down south. So right now she's obviously in... Sweetwater. Sweetwaters. So her house is more in those deadlands. The ghost basically. nation or something yeah, down there. Yeah, she's more like a farmer and a wife. Mm. And we see the Native Americans. This looks like a storyline. This doesn't look like a 30-year-old issue, the 30-year-old problem. I think this was a storyline that she gets... Right. Yeah, I think it was a storyline that they reproduced with the Native Americans. Yeah. But I think they're showing you the part of it that was happening right before the 30-year-old incident. Okay. Because then they go right to the man Man in black, black. and he seemed to be a part of that when that was happening. So it was hard to tell if this was all supposed to be part of that same memory or if it was the way weird dreams work. Well, I think in the storyline, she goes through that every time, but then that last time, it wasn't the Native American that walks in. It was was the man in black. The man in black. So was he actually there in that memory, or was that a different memory? I think he was actually there, yeah. Okay. And was he there to hurt her or stop whatever craziness was happening in the streets with robots attacking guests and she was a host after all? Got to put him down. They're killing everybody. Oh, maybe. I don't know. But this 3-2-1 thing, we saw that administered to her, to her herself by Elsie to wake her up. And you'll wake up in 3-2-1. And she does that now in her dream, and it actually wakes her body up. And she shouldn't be able to do that on her own. Yeah, especially not when she's getting operated on. Or remember it. But it works. She wakes up in livestock management, which we've seen that now on our Delos map, where that's located. Somewhere mid-level. This seems to be where they're taken every night. Anybody that dies gets shot. They're going to clean them up and get them back out. It's a pretty gruesome production, but she's in a slightly different area where I guess they have to do more intense surgery type stuff. Mm-hmm. It was very weird that it looked like an actual medical operating yeah. room. Well, I, I think there they were getting rid of semen. 
No. No? I thought they could have just been doing that, cleaning her up, but they're cutting her open with a scalpel and they actually say what it is they're after and it's MRSA. Oh. He calls it, it's the real term for this is MRSA. So it would be easy to miss because most people aren't used to hearing it said like that. Mm -hmm. MRSA is MRSA, which is methylocillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus something along those lines. I only know this because I've researched a lot of these things for a book that I'm planning on writing and using different kinds of viruses and bacteria. So this is, in fact, a bacteria that can grow. On any biological substance, I guess, is the right way to put it. It's hard to describe when you're talking about robots, but they must have these organs that are real enough or items within them that are real enough that an infection could grow. That's insane. So they can get sick. Can they get AIDS or an STD and spread it to the guests? I don't think so because I don't think they're that real. It's not all of their bodies, but I did wonder that because... They're showing us this different side of the physicality in that when she wakes up Mm -hmm. and she starts running around waving the knife at them, you would think these techs would just give her that command to put her back in a deep and dreamless slumber. But he's running after her with a syringe to seemingly inject her with an agent that you would inject a human with, like a tranquilizer, to put her back out. Now, that can only work on some kind of realistic blood work system that's operating, somebody that has chemicals or hormones. Like, there's so many different things that have to be at play for that to work, if that is, in fact, an agent like that. So they're showing us that there is more of true physical processes and biological agents that are part of these beings. Amazing. The Way more it, human. It's yeah. yeah, the first one they're showing us they're more human cognitively and perhaps on an existential level. Now they're showing us more physically. There's a lot more to this that we didn't know. But these guys are kind of behaving like idiots. Yeah. Is it me? No, you're right. They should have had more control than that. Like, oh. What do you do? What do you, uh, oh, let's just let her run out because we don't know what to do. There's got to be like procedures and they must be super trained in what to do if something like this happens. They don't try to use any commands. They basically just run after her as she goes into another room stumbling. You can only imagine where you said this is where I really felt for them. Mm -hmm. I've felt for them a couple of times throughout the episodes, but not like this. No. Not like watching her, just this look on her face. The like she's am- suffering. Acting is amazing here. First of all, isn't it everybody's worst nightmare to wake up in the middle of a medical procedure oh, and yeah. know what's happening to you? She looks down, her stomach is wide open, she's bleeding. And now these people have these masks and this equipment on. When you run out, you come into another room where people that you know, bodies are being chucked around naked and (laughs) hosed down and washed off. This must look like some kind of horror movie. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. And she actually sees Teddy. He's dead, you know, propped up against the wall, waiting to have his own repairs. Is he... Aware? Conscious of something in this moment? Well, the way they kept the camera on him it felt like it right i know they're not gonna say anything to the higher-ups but this is something that the higher-ups should know about they're all gonna find out there's no way Maybe. they don't i don't know but what does this mean for Maeve? 
Well, she's for sure not going to forget that. That's going to go in the memory bank as well. And are they going to find out? So these guys, if they don't know, are going to try to cover it up. They're not going to say she woke up. Right. That's because what I mean. that means yeah. they put her down right. So if they would find out, they would make sure she can't use the three, two, one thing anymore. But if they don't find out, she could continue to use that. Yeah. That could be a problem. There's two more scenes. One of the last ones is with Dolores, who comes out in a trance again. She rises from bed, walks outside. She asks here. It's almost like she's sleepwalking at first, and then you know she's talking to that voice again. Yep. And she gets this gun buried in the dirt. Seems to be planted there for her to find. Is that a real gun? That's what I'm thinking. That, <laughs> that gun is real. It's and that's going to be, be able right? to hurt humans or guests. Now, who would possibly want that to be happening? Because that doesn't seem like Bernard's goal. No. Maybe the man in black. It could be. Or maybe someone we don't know yet. I don't think it's the ob- well, the quote-unquote obvious Teresa or our boy Lee because it's too obvious. They're, yeah, they're, I didn't they, think of either one. Yeah. yeah. And we also see her the next day drop her can. In Sweetwater, and this time it's William there to pick mm-hmm. it up. Like we said, he's uh, maybe going to start to fall for her. And our final scene is uh, our buddy Sizemore. He's finally happy with the way his new host looked. He's ready to present his new storyline, Odyssey on Red River. <laughs> so he's very excited it's to put production this thing on for Dr. It. Ford. You do kind of feel for him for a minute because... He's got this whole big thing planned out and, Mm -hmm. you know, smoke and mirrors and things on the TV. And then it ends and Ford's like, no, just no, nothing else. Just that's it. Is there anything you liked about it? (laughs) (laughs) Which is when he takes the The shoes, shoes, the boots. I love it. Uh, By the way, we'll get there in a second. But when they go back to him walking outside, looking at his feet, everybody was like, What's going on with him shuffling? Is there something different about the dirt and the way he's... He was just looking at his at boots, his boots, dude. He stole <laughs> the boots off the guy. He was psyched yeah, you were about wondering, it. Like, is the floor There's something wrong no with the deeper floor. meaning, yeah. I don't think. I mean, there could be, but I don't think that was the point. But anyway, back to him shutting down Sizemore's storyline. He really lets him have it. This was a good speech for Anthony Hopkins. It's too obvious. It's too much of... What you would like, but it's about what the guests would like. And you don't get what they want. This is just bigger and better. It's everything we already had, but more violence, more shooting. That's not going to be fun. Nobody's going to be into that. They might like it for five seconds, but it's not what keeps them coming back for 30 years. And I love that line that this just reveals more about your character, who you are as a person, which is basically shallow. (laughs) Right? So he's really laying it on, and we've been waiting to see Sizemore get it. He says, you have to understand, they don't need to figure out who they are by coming here. These people know who they are. They want to get a glimpse at who they could be. When you take all the restraints off them and put them in this immersive, fictional world, they might just see that possibility. And that's what he's trying to show them, and I think the only way to do that is to give them more control, make it more realistic. And how do you get more realistic than what you're already at? You let the evolution take over for itself. 
So that could be interesting, scary, who knows. But I was glad that we had a little bit more speaking lines. We get a little more of the background on Dr. Ford that we've wondered about. Yeah. That's when we see Dr. Ford back in the world, the West world. Mm -hmm. And this time he's with Bernard. And they're back in the location that he was before in the wastelands. What is it called again? I keep saying wastelands. If it is, in fact, this area, it's Ghost Nation. Okay. And he brings him to that church part. Bernard says, what are we going to do? The board wants a a new Mm storyline. And he says that he's been working on one for quite some time now. Something original. And then it pans to that church. Yep. So I like your idea that it might be something where he's letting the host create it, which Mm -hmm. would be cool. Let's see if that really pans out. And that wraps up the overview for the episode, but we still have a lot to talk about beyond that. So there's a couple more areas that I want to talk about. One of them is getting a little more into this discoverwestworld.com. We talked about having the weekly updates via email that give you three different topics. This week, the destination was Las Mudas, which we saw in our storyline. It's a rustic little border town. They describe it as the way of life here hasn't changed much since the day it was settled. Feel free to make yourself at home and chat in the town square. Charm the barkeep into divulging family secrets or just relax and take a break from the heat. Practically everyone in this town is related and they are very protective of one another, so tread lightly. Don't let the dusty patina fool you. This town proudly carries the scars of Showdown's past. So that was awesome. The building part had advances in AI, which takes you to that Facebook page. And inside, Delos had explored the Mesa where we saw the video map. We also talked about the flagged communication. They had some more corporate alerts about leaked false storylines and a digital security breach. And we discussed that you can go into the Delos website and enter those codes to get to different areas. One of the coolest ones... Mm was that if you did this right, it prompted you to complete the questionnaire, the one we've been waiting for to get our access because they make this look like you can plan your own vacation. So there was tons of questions. We weren't able to write them all down because as you start going through it, if you take too long to answer, it glitches out and takes you to that screen where it looks like it's freezing and you hear Peter's voice in the background repeating his quotes. But if you go through it quickly, we were able to get some of the questions. They open up with, do you have a history of a heart condition, mental disorder, panic attacks? One of the interesting ones early off the bat was, where are your hands placed in your profile picture? So you have options to each of these. They're multiple choice. Were they touching another person in there? Were they down at your sides or something? I don't know. I I wasn't quite... Yeah, there's a lot of different ones. Wasn't quite sure what the importance is there. They also ask if you had to lose a finger, which one would you cut off? Very strange. And then they get to some deep ones. Like if you had to wipe out half of the world's population, but it would cure all poverty, would you do it? And then some of these get into yes, no, or I don't know answers instead of multiple choice. And one I thought was particularly important, if you got into a terrible accident and you were about to die, but you could save your physical attributes, your genetics, and also your memory and cognition at that moment to upload into an AI, is this you? So that, to me, just gives away the much bigger story of Westworld, that potentially that's what they're trying to do here. At some point, when you get to the end of your line, 
could you become like Lazarus, as Dr. Ford says, and return from the dead by having all of these things uploaded into an artificial intelligence? So is that what's actually going on at this park? There was more to it. Definitely try it out for yourself and have a little fun with that by entering the codes into the Discover Westworld site and taking the questionnaire for yourself. What was that code again? I believe that was the Violent Delights one. That clip when uh, it glitches out, it's very intense. And I definitely implore you to uh, go check that out. And you can get stuck there. I don't know if that's on purpose, but you had to kind of refresh to get back to the regular screen. Another cool thing, and I'm not going to read through the entire thing. You can find this online or on Reddit to read Westworld's full terms of service, the terms and conditions of Delos Destinations. You have to accept the terms and all the liability that comes with, such as any injuries that might occur. You can't sue them, like financially or criminally, for anything from broken bones and heart failure to psychological trauma. This was funny. Statistically speaking, you're more likely to die from a lightning strike than while in Delos Park. However, the following causes of accidental death have occurred. Buffalo stampede. Self-cannibalism. Here's that thing again. Are we going to see a self-cannibalism storyline at some point? Accidental hanging. Autoerotic asphyxiation. Allergic reaction to non-native plant life. Falling from great heights. Tumbleweeds. What is happening what in this park? <laughs> Who died of a tumbleweed? They also talk about all weapons and equipment having proprietary safeguards so you can't tamper with them or the ammunition. That's a clear tip off. They talk about the hosts having the Good Samaritan reflex to prevent bodily harm, but that there could be things like an act of God, a storm, circumstances beyond their control where you could get hurt. You have to leave all of your possessions, especially any electronics behind. You are not allowed to bring anything in, record in any way. You can only have their photographs if you want that. You have to agree to leave the compound on your leave date. So this is where it says a maximum of 28 days and you cannot make an attempt to hide within the park or you'll be persecuted. I feel like they're not putting these things in on accident. These are part of the narrative or something that's happened beforehand, so they're all probably important. Obviously, you can't take anything out of the park. And you ready for the kicker? Now, I know people have talked about this, but it's super important we have to bring it up. By entering the port of entry, you acknowledge that Delos Inc. controls the rights to and remains the sole owner of in perpetuity so forever they have the right to all skin cells bodily fluids secretions excretions hair samples saliva sweat blood and any other bodily function not listed here they reserve the right to use this property in any way shape or form that they see fit (laughs) so you leave anything behind and it's theirs they can do what they want with it so is that what they're using as the genetic material to put into this synthetic fibers, skins, organs, everything they're putting in their AI, is that where it's coming from? So that's really cool. I just went through the highlights, but you could always check that out on your own. The last thing I was going to talk about was the five things you might have missed, which I got off moviepilot.com, but we kind of went through them all already. Number one was the trigger phrase that we talked about the contagion, so to speak. Number two is the man in black 
being a gold player and having access to secret paths. So was Mm. he involved in the last critical failure? They talk about the spilled milk thing coming up repeatedly. We do see that when these beings are being made, it looks like they're in a bath of a milky type substance. Does that link to the man who was going crazy and pouring milk over people? And in Uh. fact... When we saw Dolores's can that she keeps dropping in the middle of the street, yeah. it was condensed milk. Huh. So oh, I think geez. they're playing with that idea. In addition to my black and white theme, other people saw a red and white theme. So the blood and the milk that was mixing together in episode one, the face paint on the Native Americans here, mm-hmm. the headquarter colors. And finally, my favorite was the art references. So I love that this website talked about Obviously, Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, you see that on when they're dipping the people into that milky substance. Mm -hmm. It looked like the same thing. But also, Sizemore talked about how his new storyline would make Hieronymus Bosch look like he was doodling kittens. So for those of you who aren't familiar with this painter, he lived at the same time as Da Vinci, though he had a very different style. He was nicknamed the Devil's Painter for his alarming works. The most famous of this, the triptych, the Garden of Earthly Delights. So the three scenes where he's showing God presenting Adam and Eve to the Garden of Eden, to paradise. The second one are all the earthly delights. So the nude figures, the animals, the beasts, and the third representing hell. Mm. It's very frightening, very detail-oriented, very not like what Sizemore has going yeah. on. His is so simple and ridiculous. But I think the Bosch tip-off is trying to lead at the deeper themes going on here. So we talked about through culture, with Shakespeare, also through art references. That's it for their points and our questions we already went through as well. So I think we can go right to our reverie rating for this episode. Okay, I'll go first. I give this a 9.7 reveries. So you went up one. I was at 9.5 last time. Oh, you went up two. I was hesitant to go up so high. I said I wasn't going to do that quickly, but I loved almost every part of this episode. There was a critic review that I totally agree with. This week, we get to enter alongside Westworld as human guests. They are its audience, much like we are its audience, although the comparison is often less than flattering. Nice. I went with 9.6 reveries. Again, same as last time. It was just as good, just as interesting. Gave us more questions, but answered some questions. Um, I'm hooked. I was literally talking aloud throughout the episode. I was going, (laughs) oh my God, that's amazing. Did you see that? I think I was annoying my family. (laughs) Who was your MVB for this episode, Jason? What is it, most valuable ball buster? (laughs) The most valuable being... I'm going to go with Dr. Ford Mm -hmm. because he laid down the law. We got to see him uh, just make that little pansy piss his pants pretty much. And we got to see him in his passion, which I really enjoyed. So Anthony Hopkins had very good uh, speaking points, very good speeches, I guess you would say. So, yeah, he shined. Yeah, his was my favorite quote that you mentioned earlier. We create life itself out of chaos. Mm Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure who to choose. I'm going to pick Maeve after going through it because of what I said, that 
while I did feel for the host, this was the first time that it hit me like a gut punch when she woke up. Her realization was so realistic. I love that depiction. All right, on to Clatcher's comments. Shout out to MacAddict16 for giving out our first review on the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld channel. So it's a brand new channel. So we're starting all over again with reviews. So we need your guys' help. Even if you've reviewed on our other channels, if you can go over there to iTunes, do Westworld, you'll see ours. It looks very similar to our other designs. It'll have the little dude on it. Yeah, so instead of pulling up the Coffee Clatch Crew one, pull up the Westworld one so that we can get this going on that channel as well. doesn't have to be long. Just give us five stars. That would be great. And a quick couple of words. And a shout-out to G.A. Bells for giving us a great review on the Mr. Robot podcast channel. So that's still getting listened to, which is great. Yeah. And we have one great comment from on Facebook, Coffee Clatch Crew, Cameron Cavey. I just listened to the podcast. No, the host narrative is not daily. They continue their narrative unless interrupted or if they die. Every time Teddy comes to town, it's implied a couple of weeks has passed. Notice guests are all new each time. The incomplete memory wipe and the fact that previous snippets of previous storylines and narratives are left in hosts, but ideally inaccessible, is taken from real-life computers. Uh, In a hard drive, when a data or file is erased, only the access information to the data is earned. The data is left intact unless a full format and wiping the memory is done, which currently is time-taking and painful to do. So I assume the writers assume the same features is left in this advanced robots as well. Mm. I like that. Huh. And yeah, he agrees too. with the it's not happening every day thing, which is cool. We have two more comments. One from Stan, who said he's excited we're doing Westworld because he started with Mr. Robot. Two things. One is that Sandy Newton was not the one we were talking about yes. last time. Oh, and yeah, I made a mistake. we got to correct that. Guardians of the Galaxy and Avatar, that was Zoe Saldana. But Dandy Newton has been in tons of great stuff, TV shows like Rogue, The Slap, ER, and movies such as 2012, W, Pursuit of Happiness. She's got her own credits going yeah, on. definitely. So that was just a slip up. And then also I was talking about this originally being a book, which I thought it was from Michael Crichton. But thanks to Stan pointing it out, I went and looked, and it seems as though it was originally written as a screenplay, which they then turned into the movie and and brought it out, uh, one of the versions of the script, into a novelization. Okay. So I didn't know that, and there was some differing information online, so thank you very much. I would have gone running around looking for the actual book and not been able to find it. This is why we need you guys, because we can't... You know, we fuck up often. So if you let us know when we do, we can fix it here. And we do so much research, but it's really hard, especially in the short amount of time we have now, just a few days to look at this stuff. So thank you for being our investigators. Please continue to do so. And also from Rachel, who we mentioned before, she gave us the gossip note on Angela Serafian. She also said... She was watching the first episode and noticed something that might pinpoint the location of Westworld. When they go down to that basement level in cold storage, there was the battered statue of a globe outside, which we said could have been that initial welcome center. She says it reminded her of the entrance to Universal Studios. Oh, yeah. um, The L.A. theme park and backlot. And then the scene later where Sizemore and Cullen were talking outside seemed to corroborate the Hollywood Hills location. 
This would mean that the park would be based on an actual film set. The worn and abandoned globe signifies that entertainment has moved on significantly from generic theme park attractions. Westworld itself looks hugely expansive, but maybe there is an artificial element to its boundaries similar to what we saw in The Truman Show. I like that. Good looking out. So thank you very much. Please continue to write in with your theories and any information that you might have. We are also going to hold over because this episode went so long and we want to get some more feedback from you and have some time to kind of analyze this further. We asked the question last time, if you could come to this park, what role would you play? So white hat, black hat, somewhere in between, what would you do? Would you go on the treasure hunts? Would you go out looking for the deeper maze? Would you go for the natural splendor of the park? How would you enjoy it? Be imaginative. Even if you haven't seen it in the park, but you think it might be there, let us know. Oh, yeah. Think of something fun. We can't wait to talk about that. And we'll see you next time when we review episode 103 entitled The Stray. Real quick, this is the annoying part that all podcasts do. (laughs) We ask you to do stuff for us. So please leave a review and a rating. Tell your friends about us. Spread the word. Let's keep building. Check out our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com. Follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. Remember, we are still a free podcast. We don't have any ads. We try not to bother you with things like that. But the way we can keep growing and doing what we're doing is with your help. So please just check out those couple of things. Help us out. And maybe one day we can get even bigger and better. We'll create our own fucking place so you can come visit. <laughs> kill people. Coffee Clutch World. Everything will be fake except for the flies. They're real. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, are they real? I don't know. You can't control the flies. They probably couldn't keep them out. <laughs> All right, guys, until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.